You're now listening to episode 35 of the Real Estate CPA Podcast. Your source for all things real estate, accounting, and tax. Here we reveal our secrets that can save you thousands in taxes, streamline your accounting process, and help grow your business. Stay tuned to hear insightful interviews with industry experts, successful real estate investors, and current clients on what strategies they use to grow their business and how they steer clear of Uncle Sam. Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. Brandon Hall and Thomas Costello here today with Scott Smith ESQ, a real estate investor and founder of Royal Legal Solutions, a law firm that offers business and legal strategies to real estate investors. He has spent the last eight years of his career diving through case law, reading the ever-changing tax code, and analyzing real estate investments so that you don't have to. He works with clients all over the United States and Canada who want to grow their business and protect their hard-earned assets. In today's episode, we discuss how to protect your assets using series LLCs, anonymous land trusts, and much more. Before we jump right into today's episode, I want to remind you about our virtual, oh, not going to remind you about our virtual workshops today, but if you haven't checked one out, you definitely want to because we've already helped save multiple real estate investors a few thousand dollars just by attending the virtual workshop. Instead, today, I want to let you know that we have other content available outside of our podcast. If you head on over to therealestatecpa.com, you'll find our blog that has a ton of posts on some very useful accounting and tax tips. In fact, one of those posts is a step-by-step walkthrough on how to fill out Schedule E, which is the area of your tax returns where you report your real estate investments. So if you're going to be doing your own tax returns this year, that's definitely a guide you want to check out. Again, you can find that at therealestatecpa.com. I also want to let you know that we do have a YouTube channel. You can find it by going to YouTube and searching for The Real Estate CPA, and we should be one of the first options that pops up. And if you haven't already subscribed, you definitely want to do that because we'll be releasing a ton of real estate tax and accounting content over the next year and something you won't want to miss. And without further ado, we'll jump right into today's episode. Scott, it's a pleasure to have you on board today. Could you give us a little bit of information on your background and how you kind of got started in the real estate space? Yeah, so my name is Scott Royal Smith Esquire. I am uh, an attorney and owner of Royal Legal Solutions. I've been a real estate investor for over eight years now. Um, currently, I invest in over 10 different states in every asset class. Um, we have uh, around 1,500 uh, clients across the country. Currently, we protect one, one, around $1.2 billion in assets. And we estimate that we've saved our clients about $20 million from lawsuit protection. Um, about being able to get lawsuits dropped before they before they even ever start. Right now, I'm um, currently building out um, our existing team for you know even greater offerings on how to protect assets, uh, decrease money on taxes, you know using tax sheltering techniques, as well as um, start to finish solutions for people that have deals and looking for money and vice versa outside of our private deal networks. Awesome. Could you? Go into a little bit of detail on specifically what you do to help uh, real estate investors protect their assets. Um, yeah, so real estate investing is actually just like any other business, right? You have active operations and then you have the assets of the business. So the number one thing that you want to do as an investor or just as a business person is always separate out the active parts of your company from all of the asset parts. So you want at least a two-company structure. One, to be the fall guy. It's going to pay all the rents. It's going to collect all the checks. It's going to sign all the contracts. It's going to do everything on that front. And they're a completely separate company that owns all of your assets. The reason being is because you don't want 
the asset holding company having any connections with the outside world because all of those connections are potential legal liability. So if we shrink all the way that down to nothing and we put all of the legal liability and connections with the outside world into a company that doesn't own anything, you know, what's sometimes people refer to this as a shell corporation. Um, then all of a sudden what you've done is you've greatly um, inhibited anybody's ability uh, to be able to sue you and collect anything. And what you find is that if you can make it where people don't make money off of lawsuits, all of a sudden the lawsuits go away. Okay, so one of the things I know that you talk about and you do a lot for clients, and we have a lot of clients uh, that, that you've done this for, you set up this land, this anonymous land trust that holds, um, or is manager rather, of a series LLC. Uh, could you just kind of go into a little detail on how that structure works and you know what specifically a series LLC is? Absolutely. Yeah. So the, we talked about just now is how uh, we're using a two company structure, one company that's doing all of your operations that'll own nothing, that'll do everything. And then a separate company that's going to own everything and not do anything. Right. And that's what we refer to as the asset holding company. So among the options that you have as asset holding companies, you can use really bad options that are really expensive like forming multiple, like one LLC per property that you would use, right? The reason that this is bad is because this has high upfront costs to be able to establish each new LLC for each individual property that you're using. And you have ongoing costs that cost anywhere between $100 to $600 per year per LLC. So this racks up, the protection now becomes really expensive. So a better option to use is um, a series LLC, which just like how people use Delaware LLCs, form in Delaware and use them everywhere in the United States, you can use a Texas series LLC because Texas is uh, cheap and very strong, has no annual fees here in Texas, and it's among the four strongest states in the country, Delaware, Nevada, and Wyoming being the other ones that have the strongest asset protection. And now you have an infinitely expandable company where you can create LLCs on your desktop for free to compartmentalize every single asset. This is huge for protection because it means that a lawsuit against property A can't affect property B, C, D, etc., and now your assets are all compartmentalized. You've really limited the pie of what a litigator can come after. In addition to that, we're using anonymity structures to be able to hide the ownership of the company and hide the ownership of the assets. So that way, people searching on public records can't find out that you own the company and they can't find out that the company owns any assets. So it looks like at the end of the day, by the time we're done, is that you qualify for food stamps. People can't find out what you own. And even if they do try to sue you, they're not able to get barely anything at all if if anything, right? This is really the power of anonymity, which is when you don't think somebody has any money, you don't sue that person. That's just the name of the game of lawsuits. Very interesting. So can you can you kind of talk about the two entity structure that you just kind of mentioned? So you have an operating company and then an asset holding company. Obviously, we're doing this for legal protection, but what exactly is that gaining you? Yeah, so the, there's a couple of pieces here that people will try to attack you, right? The number one thing that you want to do is to be able to create anonymity of your ownership because if you don't look like you own anything and it doesn't look like your company's own anything, people don't file lawsuits because that's just what the name of the game is when you go into an attorney's office. The attorney's like, cool, maybe I'll take this case. Attorneys are generally paid on commission for a lot of this work, right? They're going to make sure they get paid. So if it doesn't look like you own anything and there's insecurity in the attorney's mind of whether they're going to get paid if they win, they don't file that lawsuit. Then there's additional complications where that comes into there once we have a two-company structure in place because now all of the legal liability that they thought they probably wanted to sue for, like a fraud, breach of contract, something along those lines, it's all compartmentalized into a shell company which doesn't own anything. That's your operating company. And the liability protection from that shell company keeps them from 
even if they decide to file the lawsuit, they get stopped there and they're not able to come after you or the asset holding company. Does that answer your question, Brandon? Yeah. So how do you formalize that? So you wouldn't have any tenants interacting with the asset holding company. They don't even know it exists. It's just with that operating company. Right. Yeah. So what I look like from a tenant's perspective is that they'll see a property that's, you know, they're renting at 123 Main Street, right? And if they looked at who owns that property on the public records, they see that it's the 123 Main Street Trust. But trusts are private, so you can't find out who the owner of that trust. You actually have to produce a physical document to show that you're the owner of the trust, right? So, but the tenants then will make all of their checks and handle everything through the shell operating company, which works just like a property management company. So from a tenant's perspective, this is going to be very common for them. And yeah, maybe the tenants saw you in connection to the property, right? Because, okay, well, maybe they were with you before you made the transfer or whatever, right? Or maybe they saw you mowing the grass or something. Um, But that's not really the 99% of the problems that we're worried about are usually major lawsuits are involved with external parties, not people that, you know, saw me drive by the property or a tenant that's going to have, you know, a $2,000 claim or something. Got it. So how do you formalize the relationship between the operating company and the asset holding company? Yeah, what you need is a separate contract that gets established between those two companies. Um, And that's something that we always put together as part of a package because almost for every single client that they need asset holding company, the operating company. And then what you need is a separate agreement that that shows that this is a true business relationship between those two entities um, to establish a full arm's length uh, transaction between them. And are there like kind of key factors that need to be in that contract? Like for instance, whenever we have clients that want to make loans to family or something, we always tell them, hey, you have to have a term sheet. It needs to be a very basic term sheet. And at a bare minimum, it needs to have an IRS AFR, whatever the current IRS AFR applicable federal rate is. If it's below that rate, it's going to be deemed a gift. Is there anything like that, any sort of like hard hitting must have in this contract between the operating company and the asset holding company? Yeah. So it's also really flexible on what you're going to be able to put in there. You don't actually have to have any income going between the two companies for it to be a true business relationship. Unlike a lot of other pieces with IRS, um, where you you have to follow some of the other rules because like gift taxes come into play there, for your example. Um, in this scenario, that's not the case. Um, however, I do have some clients that want it to be the case. And so what we do then is just have the property management company charge a small fee to their asset holding company. And at the end of the day, both of these entities are typically passed through structures. So it just gets reported underneath Schedule E's of their tax return, right? So they just end up with two Schedule E's in that event instead of having one Schedule E for all of the income through the uh, parent series LLC. With the series LLCs, I know you mentioned before Texas, Delaware, and there's a few other states that allow these to be set up in it. If, say, I'm living in California, or I'm living in New York, or I'm living in Florida, how would this work for me if I wanted to set up the, you know, one of these series LLCs? So for everybody outside of California, you can establish a series LLC in Texas or Delaware or Nevada. Texas is going to be just as strong and it's also not going to have yearly fees. So that's typically where we use it for 49 states are all going to be using a Texas series LLC because it's underneath the same principles of how you can form a Delaware LLC in Delaware and use it anywhere. It's the same thing that we're doing you know, with the Texas Series LLC. A Series LLC is just an LLC with a small caveat uh, to it. And all the traditional rules that we apply for states recognizing each other's business structures also apply in this context. California, like watch out because there are some attorneys out there telling some bad stuff that's just not right. And I have seen this just this week uh, with a client. 
where they had a California resident that had a um, attorney that was there in Nevada say, hey, it's fine if you have a series LLC, you're just going to pay one franchise tax of $800 per year and you can have all of your individual child series and it's not going to be a problem, right? If you're in California, you know what I'm talking about. California is horrible on these taxes. The actual laws from California state, though, that each individual child series of a series LLC is subject to $800 per year in franchise taxes. So that client just got waylaid in taxes because they got bad attorney advice from an attorney that didn't actually read the rules. I wrote an email to a client saying, hey, this is what's going on with you here. And they're like, well, you know, there's some dispute back and forth of whether you're right, the other one's right. And I immediately blasted off an opinion letter to him. I was like, nope, here's all the citations with all of the FTB <laughs> that support this. And I was like, you should take that to the group meeting that you and all of your investor club are going to go to with that attorney. So he'll have a really fun time trying to explain his way out of that one. Yeah. Um, so, but what we use for California clients is a Delaware statutory trust. And the reason that we use a Delaware statutory trust is because trusts in California aren't subject to franchise taxes if they're structured correctly. So you can structure a DST, a Delaware statutory trust in Delaware. You can own all the properties you want into it, just like the same type of series structure you would get with a series LLC. One asset completely isolated from all the other ones, one bank account, everything streamlined up for taxes but no franchise taxes if you operate it correctly. And that's one of the things that we specialize in is how do you form the DST and run it correctly so that way you can take advantage of not having to pay franchise taxes while you're creating anonymity and compartmentalization of all your assets, which there's only a handful of, uh, I think, attorneys in the country that are even know how to do that. So you would create a DST, a Delaware Statutory Trust, that would own California property? Yeah, and properties throughout the rest of the United States for a California resident. Most California residents are like, oh, I don't know franchise taxes on my um, my Georgia LLC that owns property in Georgia. It's like, nope, if you read the FTV laws, it actually says that if you own an LLC anywhere in the country, no matter where it does business, you have to pay uh, on it. So if you have California property or you're a California resident pro- owning property out of state, the safest thing to do is, is to form a DST and then you don't have to worry about a ticking time bomb. It really is a ticking time bomb because it's $800 per year plus $2,000 per year in fines that you get for each year that you didn't pay on the franchise taxes. So a lot of people in California don't know that. Hopefully you never get busted, right? But it's like one of those things like trying to shirk how much income you claim. You know, a lot of people like don't do that because you might be able to get away with it or a small amount or something like that, right? But then if it ever comes up, it's this huge deal. Mm -hmm. On the tax side, California is pretty brutal. So I'm sure in terms of like just auditing and checking things out and making sure everything's kosher, I'm sure it's twice as bad on the uh, the legal side. Oh, it's on the prowl right now because they're trying to fight for money anywhere they can get it, right? Yeah. And that's really easy because the paperwork actually links back up where people don't realize that they're actually exposing themselves to show California on the paperwork that they're actually submitting everywhere every year with their taxes. It says, oh, there's where my LLCs are at. They just don't even realize they're doing it. Uh-huh. I mean, they're just lucky that they haven't gotten audited yet. Yeah. That's good to know because a lot of our clients try to argue um, oh, well, you know, I have this uh, LLC, like you said, somewhere in Georgia or like Arizona or something like that. I could just not, rep- I'm, I'm not required to pay these franchise fees, but uh, just to confirm here once and for all, if you own these LLCs outside of California and you're a California state residents, you're going to be subject to that $800 franchise fee. Yeah. And, and I don't have all of the, the opinion letters posted up on the website because, um, you know, 
I just don't. These are actually private for people that contact us and we have a relationship with. Um, but for you guys and any of the clients or, or people that are listening to this show, um, if they just yeah, email me at Scott at Royal Legal Solutions, I'd be happy to send you guys and any of the listeners here um, that opinion letter. So that way everybody can have like what the compiled research looks like on that. Because it's not like a guessing game, right? This is a real definitive bright line that for some reason... I keep finding this over and over again with so many things that I work on that the level of misinformation online from attorneys and CPAs is rampant, you know, and, and what comes through it. And it's, and it's just not, it's not like a difference of opinion. Fascinating. Well, I've definitely learned something here today. Tell us what the worst real estate legal nightmare you've seen was and how could it have been mitigated? Um, yeah. So one of the, the biggest nightmares I came across was actually representing a client who had a property that they sold and had all the, the they did end up doing a rehab on it, replacing all the, all the plumbing that was underneath the house. Then what they ended up doing is, is as part of the sale seller's disclosures and, and what they were going on, you know, there was no real mention of any of this plumbing being replaced, except for one email exchange where the buyer asked, you know, what plumbing underneath the house has been replaced. And then the seller in haste, just, you know, my client says all the plumbing has been replaced. Now, come to find out that six months after the sale, there's actually a leak in the plumbing in the second story where we're on vacation and causes around seventy-five dollars to $100,000 in damage to the house because the whole house flooded from the second story down right? because of the plumbing. And they're saying, hey, you defrauded us from that email you sent that told us that all of the plumbing in the house has been replaced. And we're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You asked what plumbing underneath the house was replaced. We were referring to that. We weren't saying all the plumbing in the house. And this was the basis of the dispute. And it's a Check it out. It's a dispute for fraud over one email exchange that actually will survive all the way to a jury trial to have eight random people decide was that fraud or not, right? Oh and, and that can get dragged all the way through. And that's something insurance does never cover, right? I mean, this is one of the big things. Like everybody's, oh, insurance will cover me, insurance will cover me, insurance will cover me. Nope. Insurance only covers against accidents and only when they're cheap accidents. Otherwise, insurance finds a way to be able to deny coverage because that's their business of collecting premiums and denying coverage. When bad things happen, we see it on the news all the time that they're nowhere to be found, right? In this scenario, though, I thought back and forth with the other attorney about it. And I was really caught up in like this whole idea of like the emails. And then we started diving into the company structure about what are the protections here we're going to have in prepping for defense that was going to you know, end up being part of the litigation. And uh, come to find out from that, that she actually had compartmentalized the asset inside of a series LLC and the emails were actually sent through her operating company, the shell company, the same thing that I was telling you guys I was recommending here today. So I said, hey, listen, actually the fraud you're actually claiming came from a communication she made from her shell LLC. So that's actually not fraud by her and it's not fraud by the company that sold you the asset as part of the series LLC asset holding company. The series LLC asset holding company sold that asset to you guys and it hasn't recapitalized that child series that sold it to you. So that actually entity has no, it doesn't have any value anymore because all the cash got extracted from it. So after I dug a little bit deeper into this, I composed a letter to him. I said, actually, you really don't have much of a claim here. You're going to have to try to fight through an entire entity structure. And in Texas, you're not fighting through that because our laws are so strong. And other people can take advantage of those laws as well, too, by just merely forming here. Um, and then the whole lawsuit actually ended up getting dropped before it wow. actually filed. And we were gearing up for major litigation um, in this case. But that was probably the most fun thing that's happened in, in a little while. Um, <laughs> wow. So, so the serious LLC saved the day. Saves the day because the amount of cash that you have to spend in a legal battle to try to go through all of those walls of protection and yeah. make it where the juice isn't worth the squeeze from a business context. 
right? And attorneys are in the game of saying, well, how quickly can I get paid? Because I got overhead and I need guaranteed paydays. So when you increase, you compartmentalize the assets and you have the anonymity and you're running everything through a shell company. Now, all of a sudden, everybody's thinking like, hmm, I think it's easier for me to eat over here and not with this case. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, just to go back to the shell company real quick, you know, a lot of our clients always ask questions about bank accounts and each series. And, uh, you know, I know from a tax perspective, it's it's not a huge, doesn't make a huge deal, you know, whether or not you accept bank accounts. But from an asset protection standpoint, does each series need to have its own bank account? No, it doesn't. As long as you have accurate accounting records that show which income and expenses go to each individual series, you're fine. So a lot of people that's using their QuickBooks and then just simply tagging the income or expense as belonging to series A, series B, series C, et cetera, for each property. Um, the reason why that people have separate, or you'll hear people talk about why you want to have separate bank accounts or not, has, has to do with a concept called legal commingling. It's when you take all of the companies and you merge them together and treat them as if they're one company, right? Which is the exact opposite of what we're trying to achieve. What the court will analyze when they're looking at that is saying, can you show me how you're treating this as different companies? And banking is one way to look at that, right? But the best way to find out which money belongs to which entity is actually the accounting records. So what's the most definitive piece you can focus on is the accounting records itself. But you can have bank accounts if you want to, if that helps you be able to manage your money easier, right? And what this does ultimately is actually creates a much simpler process for the investor's perspective because all the anonymity and all the compartmentalization, those things basically run in the background. Their day-to-day business is I collect checks and through my property management shell company. I then have excess cash on that, which I then move to my asset holding company, one bank account for all the properties. I have accounting records that dictate what money belongs to which asset, which expenses belong which asset. All the money from there then flows up through one EIN number to one Schedule E for my CPA to then report. And that's all I have to manage. And so really, they're in a position of saying, nothing really has to change that much in my actual day-to-day life as an investor. The money flows, you know, as I just described. And when I want to acquire a new asset, I just acquire it, close on it in whatever way that I could get the best financing. Typically, for your first 10 properties, that's, you know, uh, your normal conforming loans. And then afterwards, I can transfer it into a land trust to create the anonymity and avoid the dual on sale clause and move it into my asset holding company that way. So it's, it's really an elegant kind of solution of how you can really streamline operations and create all of these levels of protection all at once. Um, I do have to say. All I heard was hire a CPA to do your accounting. With that. <laughs> <laughs> that was great. What a great pitch. Thank you. Thank you. We didn't even ask him to do that. guy. <laughs> Well, the pieces that I think a lot of people lose on is that they don't understand about, you know, you can do some of your bookkeeping yourself, right? And a lot of people want to do a DIY type of approach. But if you have a really good CPA um, and you have a really good attorney that's also in the same business you're in, what I find from the top investors that I work with is that they're actually giving you ideas of how you need to be changing your business to optimize in a couple of different ways, even to the all the way to the asset side, because they're in the same business. Your professionals... You know, speaking to the audience members here is that your professionals should pay for themselves and the better ideas and the amount of time they save you so you can focus on making more money, right? If they're not doing that, then why why have them, right? But that's what really top-level professionals, I think, are offering in the field. I know that's what um, you guys offer, Brandon, with the CPA firm, and, I, and that's what I always strive to offer at Royal Legal Solutions. Very good. Very good. So, Scott, what, what kind of real estate are you currently investing in or do you have your eye on? Yeah, right now, actually, I'm really kind of, I'm actually in like a, 
that's kind of like a standstill of what do I actually want to do for the next 18 months to two years. And I'm trying to formulate what the new game plan for that is, right? I've been really hot on apartment complexes and bigger buys like that, that are like class B apartments, mainly because I have this belief from working with a lot of the other investors that I've been coordinating with through my podcast and, and through some networking events as well. You know, the everything inside of a recession, because I'm, I'm very much of a, like a recession, one of recession proof what my assets are doing, like a lot of people are thinking right now in the real estate game. So I'm thinking, okay, well, class B makes a lot of sense because class, you know, class C apartments, well, everybody from a class C apartment will move up to a class B because a class B apartment in a recession will go on sale. And then the class A's end up moving down. And so then you actually have this compression that's kind of nice like around that group. But I, if you can get into it and you know the game well enough and you have some good professionals that can advise you on how to get into apartments, I've never seen numbers that are as sweet. Um, and anything else that you can just focus on one or two buys and that make huge moves for you financially. And I uh, 100% agree on that recession stuff. I know that my philosophy is uh, I try to get into uh, B and you know, I'll go towards C-class apartments you know, at times because I, you know, I believe that. And not that I'm invested in mobile home parks right now, but I also believe that mobile home parks are another recession-proof asset. And you know, during a recession, when everybody's looking, how can they cut costs? People from the A's will go down to the B's. People who can't afford the B's will go down to the C's. And you know, the A-class the A class assets, the, the high-end assets are the ones that hit the most during recession. So. That's why I'm buying my lake house. I'm waiting for the recession and then I'm buying my lake house. That's my goal. <laughs> yeah, it's probably the best time to buy luxury rooms during, during <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. Maybe make enough money between now and then have two boats. I don't know. <laughs> can happen. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's something, you know, fun to like joke about, right? Because like, you know, during recession time periods, it's like really your best buying opportunity, right? And so I think that, you know, a lot of people approach a recession and they do it with a lot of fear, right? Like, oh my God, the market's going to tank and, and what are we going to do or whatever, right? But the reality of the situation is it's like, it's always, always the people that don't prepare are the ones that get burned, right? And we know who these people are because we see them on TV, like dancing in the hurricane next to the ocean. And you're like, how did you see the hurricane coming and you didn't do anything to prepare for this event? <laughs> uh, right. And and then you'll what but then what do you find? Right. Hurricane comes, it wipes out a bunch of money and a bunch of stuff and you know, a bunch of the real estate and shops and all this happens. And then you find investors and people that are entrepreneurs flooding into the town to help it rebuild, to like rebuy, and they make a killing yeah. off of coming into that zone, right? So the key to this game is about can you get a good enough idea on the future to say that I'm not going to try to squeeze every single penny out of my appreciation, every single penny, every step along the way, and have to time markets perfectly? Because I know that if I'm just right on the big moves, that I'm going to be doubling up on yeah. my cash within inside of three years. Because that's what happens when every time you have a major downturn. And if you can think like that, then I think that's the way that the really big, the really big guys that I've talked to anyway, that, you know, own and manage hedge funds. That's the way they think through a lot of this stuff. They're not trying to make out like an extra two or three percent like squeeze on anything. They just want to capture the big moves. Yeah, it's funny. We 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 have quite a few clients who bought property in 09, 10, and eleven and are cashing out now and doing very well for themselves. So I'm looking at that and you, know, you, you start seeing conversations where, well, you need to drop your your investment criteria. You need to change your your inputs, right? I don't need an 11% return. I need, not only need a 7% return. And 
you start getting um, not as strict with your investment criteria, and that's what leads to problems. So, you know, for me, like I, I haven't, I've been placing offers all over the place around Raleigh, but just haven't haven't closed on anything because my offers are way lower than the current asking price. And I'm like, hey, I'm fine putting these offers in. We have an agent that's fine with it. Uh, but yeah, it's just don't compromise your investment criteria because there will be a recession. I don't know when it might when it'll be. It might be three years. It might be twenty. But there will be a recession, and for any of those properties that you've compromised your your investment criteria on, uh, you might not be sitting very pretty. But if you don't compromise your investment criteria, you just gives you more time to save cash, right? So you just build up this big cash reserve, and when the bottom does fall out, it's you that's buying everything and bailing people out. Um, yeah. So very good, Scott. What's your favorite piece of technology that you're using in your business? Uh, my actually favorite piece of technology that I use right now is this app. You could probably you know get a thousand ones that are just like this. It's this app called Habitful, and it's actually it's something that reminds me like every single day to hit up like what are my top three habits that I'm trying to build. And I, what I've done is like I've tried to incorporate that into my personal life with how I actually live, along with what am I doing in my business that are my top three have to do every day. And what I found is that it's less than five or 10 minutes that it takes to churn through what habits that are you looking to build. But after like a week or two weeks, there's a considerable amount more power that's like behind having that kind of repetition. And it's really actually changed so much for me in doing it. And it, it's so simple, right? And then it's also difficult at the same time because you actually have to remember to do it. But like, imagine if I can't remember to put it into an app that I did something, what's the probability that I'm actually doing it at all? Right. And if I know it's the one of the top three things that I need to be doing every day to really be successful and to establish those like new, you know, behavior patterns inside of me. So I would go for that. I'd, get, I'd say have it more brand. I'm going to get this application uh, shortly after we record this. Um, but uh, Scott, what was the greatest tax advice that you ever received? Uh, yeah, minimize it. You know, whatever you can do. <laughs> that was a good one. Um, <laughs> no, and, and to be kind of funny about that, right? It was, it was more about like thinking about how um, taxes are another way to lose money, right? So I, I kind of talk about asset protection as being a piece that says this is actually saving you money over time. So it's an investment, right? But a lot of people, I think, don't spend enough time at thinking about, um, they get really excited because they went to like a Tony Robbins con- like event, I would say a concert. And then they said, hey, well, I want to buy all this real estate, right? I was like, well, yeah, that's cool, right? It's going to be excited about what you're doing because that helps like motivate you through the pain points of actually being able to accomplish things in your life. But you can actually take a step back and think about, okay, what are some of the bigger planning pieces that I can do? And maybe if I'm not super excited about mobile home parks, but maybe that makes a lot of sense because I'm actually going to be more wealthy to do the bigger work that I want to do because most people aren't in this game just to make as much money as they can so they can scrooge a duck around their living room, right? It's because they probably want to do something a little bit bigger than that. And so really having really solid active strategy, I think throughout the years is, is probably the best advice that I've been given instead of a, a, a post hoc at the end of the year, throwing everything at your CPA and being like, hey, go save me some money. You know, that's just, there's not much you can do. The game's already been played. 100% agree. A lot of people do do that. They come to you, you know, in January, February and say, hey, how can I save money on taxes for, for last year? It's like, well, everything that you did is already done. You've already taken the actions to say you need to have a, a tax plan that kind of helps you take the right actions throughout that year to get to that end result. Because when you file your tax returns, all you're doing is reporting what you did the year before. And there's very little, you know, there's some things, but they're very small, what you could do. So I uh, definitely need to go and get that proactive advice. Um, definitely agree with that. Before we go, is there any last things that you, any last pieces of advice that you want to share with our listeners? 
Um, yeah, so I, I just wanted to to reassure everybody um, that you know the, a lot of the pieces that we're talking about here today went through very very quickly on how do we uh, use you know trust structures and series LLCs and DSTs and whatnot. Um, I actually teach a four hour class on this with professional education uh, that goes into that. We've actually just had all of our recordings finished up, scrubbing all the videos, and, and I hope to be releasing those here uh, soon as part of a, a video and an article you know, package and offering um, that we'll be offering through the Royal Legal Solutions Network. Um, and the idea here is the only reason I bring that up is just to be able to let everybody know is saying that there is a ton of half true information online, right? So even if it's not me, find somebody that you trust and that can actually explain to you and everything, like how all the building blocks of this stuff works, whether it's going to be in your taxes or it's going to be your asset protection or it's your investment in real estate. If they can't explain it to you like you're a fifth grader to really break it down into simple terms, then it means they probably really don't know the answers themselves and they're just parroting stuff. So I just really like to give that to people to say, like, there's a good way of vetting professionals. And that's one of them is that they can explain things to you in a way that, you know, can really make sense and distill terms down into um, their basic format. And, you know, from our YouTube channel and whatnot, you know, I try to do the best I can with all of that, and as well as coming on, you know, tons and tons of podcasts. So hopefully that's helpful for everybody. I definitely have to agree with that as well. So Scott, we definitely appreciate you coming on the show today. And uh, we look forward to uh, working with you in the future. Yeah, absolutely. I think we have a special giveaway that we're doing for you guys that we'll have in the show notes that my my staff will be uh, sending over to you guys. With um, it'll be having a raffle that's going to have a bunch of like free videos, content. I think we're actually giving away a series LLC um, into that, so that's a three thousand dollar product with all the anonymity uh, part of it, and we're going to be giving it to your listeners um, for free. And that's just going to be at the slash real estate CPA um, to get your free report and to be able to sign up for that. Anybody wants to reach out um, and find more information about any of the stuff, I'm happy to give you, you know, a, a lot of the resources we have for free from our YouTube channel, the Real Estate Nerds podcast, from the royallegalsolutions.com website. They can call us at 512-757-3994, or you can blast me an email directly at scott at royallegalsolutions.com. So yeah, anybody, just feel free to reach out if you're looking for resources, materials, some guidance, you know, whatever. You don't have to pay us a bunch of money for us to be able to help you and point you in the right direction. So I'm sure you guys do it, you know, at Hall CPA, right? Where it's really about like, how can we just help people get good info? Um, and we know if we help enough people that we're all going to make money. So we don't worry about it. Awesome. Well, like Scott said, all that information will be in the show notes below, guys. Thank you for tuning in. And until next time, happy investing. Thanks for listening to today's show. If you enjoyed the show, please find us on iTunes and leave us a review. You can also email us at contact at therealestatecpa.com with any feedback or topic suggestions. We are always taking on new clients and with the new tax laws in play, you really don't want to navigate this alone. Let us help you save money on taxes and with your accounting and CFO needs. To become a client, navigate to our client page at therealestatecpa.com and fill out a web form with as much detail about your situation as possible. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great rest of your week.